Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairie podcast, brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Each month, this podcast tackles the topics that are important to pulse crop farmers, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade policy developments, innovative agronomic approaches, transportation for Canadian crops, and a whole lot more. My name is Sherry Lynn Phelps, and I'm the Agronomy Manager with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. And today I'm talking with John Ippolito, Crop Extension Specialist with Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in the Kindersley area. We're going to talk about pulse harvest across the province and what important reminders growers should be aware of during harvest season. Thank you for joining us today, John. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. So the first question, you know, harvest has been progressing across the province at a fairly rapid rate due to the hot, dry weather uh, in August. What are the primary pulses that are grown in your area, and how are you looking so far in terms of yields and quality, John? Uh, so the west central part of the province, Rosetown, Kindersley in particular, um, the primary pulses are lentils and peas, with lentils making up the big majority. They're on a normal year, they're probably 75 to 80 percent of the pulse acres here would be lentils. Quality this year has been good. We've had uh, essentially a trouble-free harvest. We haven't had any harvest issues to speak of, so quality is really good for both Yields, I think most guys are hoping for more, given how the summer started. But currently, I guess what we're hearing is uh, a lot of variability in lentil yields. But at the end of the day, probably going to average out in that 15 to 1,800 pound per acre range. Pea yields uh, will be pretty close to long-term averages as well, probably in that 35 to 40 when, uh, when it's all done. So as harvest is seeming to go along without many challenges so far, is there things that you would like to comment on in terms of now monitoring the grain in the bin and kind of tips for ensuring long-term storage of pulse crops? Oh, for sure. Um, A lot of the pulse harvest here was done uh, in the past three weeks with some really high outside air temperatures. So a lot of the grain has actually went into the bin quite warm. Most growers here would use aeration or what we call natural air grain drying on on their pulses in particular. Um, So um, they have had the opportunity to cool that grain down um, and hopefully they've all taken advantage of that opportunity. Uh, Ideally, we would like to, you know, see that grain cooled down to 10 degrees Celsius as quickly as they could and and probably later in October even cool and bring it down closer to zero. Getting it cool is important. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, you know, uh, not maybe not so much pulses, but I know other grains, talking with guys in the past week, they're, you know, they've got uh, cereal grains that are, you know, still in the high 20s, maybe even low 30s in the bin if they haven't cooled it off. So, we talked about kind of harvest progress, um, particularly relating to those ones that have already been combined. But what about some pulse crops that are not mature yet? Any tips for what growers should be doing and keeping in mind when preparing those for desiccating or using harvest aids? Well, I think the pulses that haven't been harvested so far, for a variety of reasons, they've uh, had I guess 
some weed challenges uh, uh, that have kind of delayed harvest on a lot of that. So uh, what we're seeing happening there is uh, uh, there will be glyphosate applied to those if it hasn't been already. And to to control the weeds, uh, the, the lentils themselves in particular, um, in most cases are at a mature state so they're they're down into the you know 30% moisture and lower and uh, and unfortunately they've had to have some help to get the weeds to dry down most of the other crop here um actually dried down quite good if it wasn't really weedy and um a fair amount used diquat this year as the desiccant to kind of speed things along and, and the the weather cooperated quite well and uh, matter of fact you hear of the odd field where uh, desiccant wasn't used at all that things dried down that quickly. Nice. Nice when that the weather cooperates in order to dry down some of these crops. When when they're looking at harvest age products such as glyphosate or diquat, what is the seed moisture level to keep in mind? Well, the 30% moisture for sure is the uh, requirement for glyphosate and, uh, and the diquats probably actually, it's not recommended based on uh, a specific seed moisture, but it's probably getting closer to that because it actually acts quite quickly uh, and dries down the crop. So what would a lentil or a pea crop kind of look like at that 30% moisture? Uh, actually, at a, a big chunk of all the lower pods are going to be mature, and the seeds in them will be rattling. Uh, you'd be looking at at least 30% of the uh, uh, pods are at that state. So it, it's no longer has a green color to it. The, the field itself will be pretty tan in color. And um, a kind of a test I like to use, whether they're ready for desiccation or not, is run my hand across the top of the canopy and if you hear the uh, seeds rattling in the pods uh, it's at the appropriate stage so great i always like to have those quick tips on on what you can use to as a visual right or an error in this case as a sound right um are there any products that growers should be concerned about or just be con- really thinking about before they use them as a harvest aid this year the glufosinate product, for sure. It, uh, it's not widely used. There was some calls about it earlier this year, but it's one product that either doesn't have well-established uh, MRLs in certain trading countries or, or has MRLs that are going to be difficult to meet. So that was one product, uh, for sure, that was a little bit of a red flag for this harvest. So where can growers go for more information on harvest aids and kind of helping them with the choices going forward or the marketability of their crop in terms of what they've already applied? Oh, the Keeping It Clean website, keepingitclean.ca, is, is probably the best source for pulses and, um, and the others when it comes to pre-harvest products in particular. Great. So Keep It Clean is a, is a great resource that we can refer growers to uh, when they want to consider what they've applied in the market risk. So that's great. Now that there's a lot of grain in the bin and, you know, you're, you're suggesting that there's fairly decent quality, is there a program that growers can actually send samples in to get sort of a, a grade and unofficial kind of testing done with their harvest samples? 
Yeah, the Canadian Grain Commission runs what they call the Harvest Sample Program every fall. Uh, so producers can submit samples directly to the Canadian Grain Commission and get that, as you said, kind of an unofficial grade that will help them. Um, and it's a program that's been running for a number of years. So this would be something that a grower can submit a sample. Is there a cost to it? Uh, no, there's no cost to it for the Harvest Sample Program, no. Awesome. So that's for crops like peas, lentils, chickpeas, and soybeans that they can send samples into CGC for the Harvest Sample Program. And is it a fairly simple process? Um, yeah, it's it's quite simple. It's um, And all the information in terms of sample submission or whatever would go on uh, the CGC website, which, if I remember correctly, is Grains Canada. And I'm sure if they type in Harvest Sample Program on Google, it might pick it up as well. So let's go back to the production year. You know, it sounds like harvest is going pretty straightforward for a lot of pulses. But how did things kind of stack up prior to harvest? Was there any challenges that were faced during the production year, kind of specifically in your area or elsewhere within the province? Um, we had two, I guess, big production challenges, and and not all producers experienced uh, either one of them for that matter, but in, in some cases, the production challenges, when they did present themselves, were uh, you know fairly significant in terms of individual fields. Pulse crop root rots, uh, mainly the Athanomyces and Fusarium, uh, unfortunately, both peas and lentils are susceptible. And uh, we had uh, some areas that had more significant rainfall that had some fairly significant yield reductions in particular because of the pulse crop root rots. It's interesting, a lot of the fields that experienced the challenge uh, were in pulses in 2016 as well, which seems to have been a, a year that had a high incidence of pulse root rots. And, and um, obviously those pathogens have carried over and when the rainfalls happened uh, in June, July of this year, we saw the pulse root rots again. So like I say, not, not widespread, but in some areas it was quite significant. The one thing with the pulse root rots that was interesting is when I talked about the weedy fields, that was one of the things that seemed to occur after the pulse root rots started to have some impact on the on the pulses themselves, is it kind of provided an opportunity for uh, more weed growth. Uh, in particular, we saw a lot of a lot more things like spiny annual saw thistle in uh, in the pulse fields uh, that in particular had root rot, and it just seemed to be less competition from the crop gave the weeds the opportunity. So, so there was that going on. The other one is uh, this part of the province in particular. We've got two pretty significant herbicide-resistant weed challenges that are particular uh, problem for us in pulse crops, peas, and lentils. Uh, the one being kochia, uh, which of course is always or considered to be always resistant to Group Two herbicides. So that you know the Clearfield herbicide 
system really is not very effective on kosher. And the kosher in some cases is also uh, resistant to glyphosate or some of the population is resistant to glyphosate. So so kosher has became a real problem for pulse growers. We hear a lot of fall application of herbicides uh, in anticipation of kosher growing on those pulse crops. But but even with that, you know, we did have some is that had more kosher than they would have liked uh, in their pulse fields this year. The other one that's been a long-term problem for us has been the group two resistant wild mustard. And um, that herbicide resistance, uh, again, the clear field system will no longer work on, on those uh, wild mustard plants. So so we've seen growers that have had to, in the case of lentils, go back to uh, the group five herbicide metrosin. Um And in the case of field peas, they're using... Um, you know, products that have benthazon in them as uh, the means of mustard control. Uh, some pea growers have tried, you know, things like MCPA, and it sometimes works reasonably effectively on wild mustard, but in some cases this year we saw a second flush that they weren't able to control with MCPA. So in terms of the, the managing herbicide-resistant weeds, are you finding growers are looking at alternative strategies and trying to use more residual products that might help with the control of the herbicide-resistant kochia and wild mustard? Oh, for sure. Uh, uh, Especially on the kochia side, you know, the use of or the application of edge in the fall in anticipation of growing lentils is is a fairly common practice here. and, And they're actually applying that that herbicide specifically because of caution control for the upcoming lentil crop. And uh, so we're seeing that one used quite significantly for sure. You know, there's been some use of focus uh, as another herbicide uh, in the fall as well. And, you know, uh, same thing. They're trying to suppression of, of that wild mustard and, and uh, other weeds prior to plant lentils. So those are kind of the two fall ones that we're starting to see used reasonably often, I would say. So would it be safe to, you know, comment or recommend to growers being that, you know, harvest seems to be progressing at a nice pace this year, that there is opportunity to get some of these fall herbicides down and and can start planning for next year's pulses at this time? Oh, for sure. That's uh, one thing what I think most uh, growers and retails are looking at that with the harvest wrapping up as quickly as it is this year, that there will be opportunity to get herbicide applications done this fall. That's for sure. The other one in terms of fall work is because of the magnitude of uh, pulse crop root ruts we're anticipating or or we've seen here in the past number of years now, I fully expect that we're going to see more sampling of field for aphanomyces in particular in anticipation of pulse crops next year. It's uh, the areas that have been impacted the most. Uh, we've had calls from uh, retails already about who does the, the testing and and protocols and that sort of thing. So I think growers are going to start to try and manage around the phantomyces and, and the other root rots and uh, maybe identify fields that definitely, you know, are going to need a longer rotation than the three or four that they've normally practiced. Great. So, so soil sampling is, is another opportunity for mitigate some of the risk with, with root rot. And I know on our task 
Pulse.com website, we do have a fact sheet that lays out um, how to take a soil sample for root rot and the labs that are available to send those samples to. So that's a great reference to for growers and, and retails to as well. Um, you mentioned rotations and the effect on root rots and mentioned that this year a lot of the root rot fields had pulses, whether it was peas or lentils, in 2016. So do you feel that looking back through your field histories as part of your planning process going into 2021 is very critical to, you know, identify fields where there might have been problems in the past and avoid putting lentils and peas on there if they're higher risk for root rot? Yeah, I I think the rotation piece is, uh, well, the rotation piece is the only one that we know or I guess are confident in has some ability to reduce uh, the the risk from the pulse crop root rots. And, and we've seen some change in rotation here over time. It was really interesting when we looked at some problem fields a year ago uh, and looked at their history that uh, we had a number of problem fields last year even with root rots. And, um, and again, they were quite often had been pulses in 2016 as well. But it was really interesting that a lot of them had had extremely short rotations until 2014. In some cases, it was essentially lentils, derm, lentils, derm. Rotations started to get extended from 2014 and on. But, you know, last year, and, you know, we found in some cases the three-year rotation didn't cut it if it was a field that had an infestation from previously. Uh, this year again, we found, you know, some of the same links back to 2016, even though it was a four-year rotation. So so I think that's where it's going to become critical that uh, growers actually uh, – do some sampling if they suspect a phantomyces in particular in a field and and then make adjustments to uh, rotations accordingly. Ideally, we'd like to see it stretched out to six to eight years. I mean, what happens next year is still pretty much dependent on rainfall next year, but you know, identify the high-risk fields and, and maybe make adjustments to those in particular in terms of what the rotation may be. That's been the hard, the rotation piece here has been the hard one because canola is a relatively new crop to West Central, believe it or not. And, um, and one of our challenges in West Central in particular is there's really no other pulse crop other than peas or lentils that we can slot in that's going to be a kind of a profitable crop for us in most years. That's one of the biggest challenges here. It's uh, We're too dry for soybeans kind of normally. Fava beans, much the same. Uh, water use is higher than what we would normally recommend. Chickpeas, there's maybe opportunity in uh, some of the southern part of the region, and there's a little bit actually being grown this year. I guess we'll see how that works. But historically, we've seen very little chickpea production north of the uh, South Saskatchewan River. Well, you're leading me into the next section really well, and that is about like why growers are wanting to include pulses in their rotation. You mentioned in your area, they're kind of limited to peas and lentils. They would like to see more, um, but the options are kind of limited for various reasons. But what is the real reason um, why growers want to use pulse crops in their rotations? 
Um, the big one here is, uh, if you look historically, we were predominantly cereal production. Uh, we're talking decades ago. The pulses uh, provided a you know agronomic opportunity to get away from just kind of essentially cereal production. And the economics of peas and lentils, lentils in particular, have probably always been, uh, you know, one of the better crops in terms of net returns. So uh, that's why we've got a long history of uh, fairly intensive lentil production here because the the economic returns have, have always been reasonably good. And, and like I say, they've been a great fit from an agronomic perspective as well with the cereal grains and, and now more recently inclusion of more canola in the rotation as well. So would you say that pulses would be a, you know, lower input crops or higher input crops? Um, they're actually lower input uh, in that, you know, they, there's not a big nitrogen fertilizer bill associated with them. Seed costs are pretty reasonable. Uh, so, yeah, from an economic perspective, they've always been, a, a you know, a good choice and um, you know the challenges have been much like we talked earlier the challenges with lentils in particular has always been weed control uh, they're not a very competitive crop and um, not a lot of uh, choices in terms of herbicides either but no it's definitely always been uh, you know a kind of a go-to to get more pulses into the rotation so what ha- what kind of benefit have you seen kind of personally is there something that stands out in your mind when when you've seen some of these growers that have adopted pulses in your area? Well, the, the growers, as I said, they've um, you know had some reduced fertilizer bills on, on those pulse years. And I think based on the rootings, you know, lentils being a somewhat shallow rooted crop, peas, maybe not quite as shallow, but shallower, um, it's fit quite well into the rotation with the cereals and canola that can use moisture that was maybe left behind by the uh, the pulse crops. And, um, you know, the, the following crops have always benefited from, you know, the residual nitrogen and and what's also known as the pulse benefit from, uh, from being growing on that pulse stubble. So there's always been some benefit to the following crop as well. Are there any uh, comments here specifically from growers when they have pulses? Or the crops following pulses? No specifics. Now, when you talk with growers about, uh, you know, that we might have to go to, you know, long, long rotations, there's concerns there about, you know, how do we build a rotation that doesn't have pulses in it for five or six years? Um, And I think there's even some, you know, thoughts about, you know, the pulses have helped immensely on the economic side. And when we go from what used to be pulses every second year to, pulses every fourth year to now maybe even pulses every sixth year. I think there's some concerns about, you know, what what are the implications of that in the long term as well. So that, that kind of means from what you're saying, if they're extending their rotations with pulses, we could see a decrease in pulse acres in your area as guys are moving to extend those rotations? Oh, I think we're going to have to, yeah, in a lot of cases, because like say, we've seen some already that, you know, have had a, like say, it went from a two-year, what what used to be a two-year rotation to now a four-year rotation and uh, with the inclusion of canola and and, uh, and some others. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think in the long term, we probably will see some, uh, some implication for the actual acres of pulses that are grown here, particularly if that we have a number of fields that have to go to 
the six-year rotation. That will really start to impact, I think, on on acres in, in this region. Well, that's you know too bad to to hear decrease potential in false acres in your area, but you know understanding the situation and concerns with root rocks and and stuff and how severe those cases can be um, doesn't leave much choice for growers until we can get some more pulses for your area that are more suitable and that are economical as well. So I think that about wraps up our discussion today. I want to thank John again for joining us. Is there any last comments that you might have, John? I guess probably the big ones for growers now are uh, if they haven't been a testant for a phantomyces, they probably should be. And, and for sure, uh, for the harvest we just completed, uh, get it cooled off so it stores in good condition until they can market it. Thank you. Those are good points. So just to the audience that's been listening, thanks for tuning in to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast. Join us next time as we dig into pulse markets and what demand will look like for the rest of 2020 and into 2021. For more pulse harvest, storage, and drying information, please visit the Growing Pulses pages and the resource section of the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers website at saskpulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.